Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, or on the NSN app. Phil Goldfeder again away this week. But the show must go on. And what a week it's been. The Mueller report with the Friday drop, the re- letter coming from the Attorney General, Attorney General Barr delivering it to Congress. And now the fun begins. But politically, uh, this is a huge victory for the White House. Make no mistake about this. And part of this victory is, I think, strategically, the Democrats made a huge error here. In You know, there's a lot of things to consider. So let's just take it, the points here about the Mueller investigation from the top. Number one, as I said, it's an investigation. The investigation itself was intended as a prosecutorial investigation. This is not a commission. This is not the 9-11 commission. We're not trying to find out what the facts are, what the thing, what the background is. This is entirely about a special prosecutor who is looking for a crime, who's looking for evidence that they can prove in court. So let's say, what is it and what isn't it? I know a lot of people out there, and I've heard it for months and months and months, Mueller this, and you've heard it on TV, you've heard it in conversations, you've heard it all over the place. Mueller is going to get him. Mueller is going to get him. Mueller is going to get the president. Mueller is going to take down the president. And it was that was the storyline over and over. And yeah, there, I'm sure there were a lot of people out there saying, okay, we don't need impeachment because Mueller is going to take care of it. Now, first of all, collusion. Not a crime, not even a criminal word. Okay, there is conspiracy. But let's just... You know, talk about that for a second. You got to prove a conspiracy. You got to prove intent. You got to prove all kinds of things. A lot of people in the White House and around the White House are basically saying there couldn't be conspiracy because there was a lot of stupidity. And that's been the defense. And apparently that is a defense, right? You can be too ineffective to really have a conspiracy. And that seems perhaps to be the case. We don't have any of the underlying information here. We don't know what Mueller knows. We don't know what people said. All we know is the review and the attorney general's review of it. But Democrats clearly made an overstep. Everybody oversteps these days, right? I think the president oversteps. I think the Republicans overreach in Congress. I think the Democrats clearly overreach here because they have a lot of power. The the Democrats have a ton of power now with congressional committees to investigate, to continue some of these. Now, U.S. attorneys around the country have a lot of power. We don't know what they know either right now because they don't comment. But everybody kind of said, okay, Mueller. And the president, I think, did a smart thing in the end, kind of focusing everything on Mueller, focusing everything on him and his investigation and his witch hunt, and it became about Mueller, so therefore the people have to defend Mueller. And they have to say, no, Mueller, this is the gold standard. If Bob, if there's a crime, Bob Mueller is going to find it. Well, there may have been crimes committed. There may have been things committed. But the question is, can he prosecute them? Can he get there? Can he, he look, I'm sure he wanted to call the president in as a witness, but that was a high hurdle. And I think that's important for our system overall, the checks and balances in our system that the president should be protected to a certain degree. Not to every degree. The president shouldn't be above the law. But the overreach here is, in fact, is that for now, as from what we understand, 
this administration, this president has a clean bill of health. Essentially, not the not an exoneration, as the president said, and he has a tendency to overplay. Once again, not a complete exoneration by any stretch. Just no crime is committed. Now, of course, that's not what the standard that we want. We don't want the standard of in our government to say, oh, you're not a criminal. Good. Okay, good. Be president. You're not a criminal. Go be in Congress. You're not a criminal. That's like, I'm not a criminal. I've never been prosecuted. That's not exactly the good standard. But, but, the president's opponents, in their zeal to go ahead and discredit and essentially try and create a coup to take him down, and he's not wrong about this, that the president's critics severely overplayed their hand by throwing everything into a prosecutor who may not be able to come up with the evidence or may there may not actually be evidence of an actual crime. There is no evidence, it seems, that officials in the Trump campaign were actually in coordination with Russia on the 2016 election. That's apparently what's happened. But there are, there have been indictments, there have been convictions. I mean, what should trouble everybody here is that there's so many people around the president who were, who committed felonies. It should trouble everybody that Paul Manafort was really, for decades, a career criminal, was evading the law in so many different ways and pled guilty to it. It should trouble the pre- everybody that Rick Gates pled guilty and is still cooperating. It should trouble everybody that Michael Cohen, who is the president's own attorney, yes, he's been disavowed by everybody, it should trouble everybody that this that Michael Cohen was engaged in criminal activity for many years, some of which implicates the president as well, while he was president. It should trouble everybody that Mike Flynn, who was the national security advisor, privy sitting in the most sensitive, the most sensitive secrets of the United States, the most sensitive decision-making about life and death, about war and peace, was sitting there, who was also an undisclosed agent of foreign countries and lied to the FBI. A man who clearly understood, who was an intelligence chief, head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, who knew that lying to federal investigators was going to be a problem. And it should trouble everybody that there were people around the president over and over who were willing to distort the truth in many cases. Now, we don't know what's going to happen to Roger Stone. That's going to be a very interesting investigation, trial. We don't know what's going to happen ultimately with Michael Cohen. We do know he's going to jail, but there might be other things. We don't know what's going to happen with the Southern District of New York. We don't know what's going to happen with Jared Kushner, uh, with Donald Trump Jr. These investigations might have might be elsewhere within the justice system. So there's a lot of things that we don't know currently. But, and this is the big but again, but 
the president will not be taken down by the Bob Mueller investigation. And that is the mistake that many in Congress and many Democrats and many of those calling for impeachment, 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 impeachment all the time. That's the mistake that they made politically. If you want to take a shot at the top, you better not miss. I know it's a cliche, but that's what it is. And I think that's what Nancy Pelosi was getting at about a, you know, about a week ago when saying, stop talking about impeachment. We're not there. Let things run their course. This Congress is only beginning to investigate. And there's a lot of interesting and juicy stuff out there. And I'm not saying we want to be mired in investigation all the time. Point number two. As I said, the president won. No question. If you love him, you love him. And you love him more now. If you hate him, you probably hate him even more now. The funny thing that's going on about this is that instead of taking a victory lap, and instead of kind of savoring it and saying, let's move on, let's move, we're now past this investigation phase, we're going to go govern, we're going to move on, forget about the political persecution, we'll move on with the agenda of the American people. For some reason, the next thing that the White House has chosen to take take up is Obamacare, but not Obamacare in the repeal and replace, is just repeal. The White House has decided to join a suit against Obamacare to essentially have the courts invalidate it, which would immediately, essentially, throw millions of people off of health coverage. Now, I'm no fan of Obamacare. There's a lot about it I don't like, but I think at the same time, the idea of throwing tens of millions of Americans off their health care instantaneously, essentially, is a really bad political move. So instead of... I'm not even sure. I I just don't understand where the politics of this come from. But instead of doing things that are going going ahead and going to move the ball forward politically, you're going back to an issue that cost the Republican seats in 2018 and probably potentially could cost them more seats in 2020. Why they think this is a winning issue, I just don't understand. And that's, you know, that's where we're back to. Now, the problem here for the president is how are you going to replace Obamacare if you have joined the, so, the if you join a suit to eliminate it? He says, oh, it'll be easy. We'll have great health care. We're going to have great health care. Now, we said that before, and I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying I don't. But Republicans didn't have the votes to do it when they control both houses. That's just a reality. And Republicans don't have the votes now in order to do it. So I don't even understand if they can't even agree on funding the government. Something as simple as that, how they're going to get a big ticket item in a divided Congress like Obamacare. And then, of course, there's this minor issue of talk about blowing up your, your victory, of changing the story. $17.5 million for the Special Olympics. Now, if this is not a boneheaded political story, political move, I don't know what is. <laughs> you turn around. Betsy DeVos goes before Congress with the, uh, the budget request, and she was obviously asked to make cuts in the department. But instead, they cut funding for the Special Olympics. 
$17.5 million, which is like, I don't know, probably the price of a you know, toilet bowl, right? One of those. And just the idea of shutting down the most vulnerable Americans politically, it's just so stupid. And there are a lot of fans, and it'll never happen because Congress is never going to do it, but the optics of it, of going ahead and giving huge tax cuts to the wealthy, huge tax cuts to corporations, and I'm not saying those are bad. I'm not, not at all. But doing that and then shutting down funding for the Special Olympics, potentially putting it out of business, it, it just, politically, it just doesn't make any sense, folks. And this is essentially going ahead and snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. So number three is Stephen Moore, president of Ports, Stephen Moore to the Federal Reserve. Stephen Moore promptly has said he doesn't really understand the Federal Reserve. He's criticized the Federal Reserve as a critic. Doesn't really have, it's just one of those things. It's like you're going ahead and Take the victory. Why are you taking the, you know, the shots here? It just seems that the White House just can't shoot straight in a, in a way. Now, at the same time, there are plenty of Congress who can't shoot straight. I mean, I think Adam Schiff definitely has to go ahead and explain all these times that he had evidence, he has the hard evidence, he has all this evidence, you know, that crimes were committed, etc. But Mueller didn't find any. Now, either he didn't share them with Mueller and he wants to keep it for himself, or Mueller didn't find any and he didn't do it. But you know, he can't have it both ways. He can't say, hey, we know all this and we know that the president committed these crimes and then it actually doesn't, it says, happen. So there's a lot of answering to do all over the place. I want to get to a couple of the topics uh, almost out of time for this week. But number one, um, APAC. So APAC conference happened this week. You know, now we have the moniker of controversial. APAC is controversial. It's controversial because Ilhan Omar and, you know, she criticized APAC and APAC, the all-powerful, you know, I think it was said correctly that by Meghan McCain is that APAC is not powerful because of money. And APAC doesn't, you know, make Americans into pro-Israel. APAC is powerful because Americans are pro-Israel. And that's the important thing. Yeah, you might not agree with APAC on every single policy issue, but being pro-Israel is being is being pro-American, is caring about the values of the United States of America, in my opinion. I just came back from Israel, and, you know, for a lot of reasons, obviously, there's sentimental value for us, but Israel is a wonderful country with a lot of hope, but a very robust democracy. And, you know, you have the parallels between Netanyahu uh, with his legal troubles and Trump with his now legal troubles, or maybe his legal troubles have, have ended to a certain degree. But that's a positive thing for a democracy, you know, that the rule of law exists. And, you know, that's, a, that's an important thing. And Israel can have be self-critical in a very meaningful way and have a, and, but at the same time, you know, then, then of course the opponents of APAC try and tie it to Bibi. Well, they, the indicted prime minister, well, yeah, he's the prime minister of that, but they also invited for the first time the opposition. They invited Benny Gantz, which is unusual. So, the, so, you know, in a way, the people, the critics out there who talk about APAC being this right wing monolith and just out of step, whatever, with the, it's not reality. 
it's not reality. In fact, I think many people on the right feel that APAC bends over backwards to be progressive and to appeal to progressives and appeal to Democrats. Uh, the funny thing is, many people on the right feel that APAC is insufficiently right. But that's the thing about being a big tent. And there's no reason that why diff- people of different opinions cannot coexist within a single movement. I don't have to agree with everybody all the time on every issue in order to join them in a certain cause. So I don't have to check the box and say, hey, you're a Democrat, you vote for Democrats. I might think that Republicans are better for Israel, but that doesn't mean I don't appreciate the fact that there are Democrats who are pro-Israel. And like a guy like Max Rose, who is the congressman from Brooklyn and Staten Island, when he takes a stand pro-Israel, when he takes a stand against Ilhan Omar, when he takes a stand about about anti-Semitism on the left, I appreciate that, even though he's a Democrat, even though I might want to support an opponent for him Next time around, the same way I have a congresswoman, my own congresswoman, Kathleen Rice, who I appreciate, and I don't necessarily agree with her on every issue, but I appreciate the fact that she stood with Israel, that she stands against some of the anti-Semitism on the left. I, I, I appreciate the fact that she stand, stood against the Iran deal, and that's appropriate. There's nothing wrong with that in America. There's nothing wrong with that in a democracy to have that. You don't have to have a 100% litmus test on that issue. And I think what's going on is this marginalization of people. We have to marginalize people if they are not like us. We have to marginalize people. We have to say, well, if they don't agree with us all the time, they're not part of our party. They're not part of our political cause. They're not part. We have to say, no, they're marginal. We have to try and exclude them. And, you know, that's kind of what's been going on with the idea of delegitimizing Israel and delegitimizing APAC. You can't have an idea that when 20,000 people show up to a single event, in D.C., from around the country, Jews and non-Jews alike, pro-Israel people, and you say, oh, it's controversial. It's a controversial organization. It's controversial. There are not a lot of organizations that can get that many grassroots people from around the country, from districts around the country, in order to come. But you want to make it, the idea here always is to make things toxic, make them so toxic that you can't go ahead and participate. And I will tell you, having been there many years, I was in Israel this year, I couldn't go. Having been there many years, there's plenty of different viewpoints at APAC. There are plenty of people who just go, and they don't even go for the conference. They go because there are other people there. It's a big networking convention event for people who are pro-Israel. And there's no reason why being pro-Israel shouldn't be a big tent idea. And we should appreciate that. And I think it's important. And that kind of a good segue for uh, last point for this week, which is my friend, City Councilman Kamen Yeager, has kind of decided to go there, right? He's been he's been trolled a little bit by pro-Palestinian, pro-Arab uh, progressives in Brooklyn. And as we know, there's some, uh, you know, Linda Sassour and her crew and her coterie. And, you know, he decided to tweet. And, you know, he was kind of called out, essentially, for being, for saying things about the Palestinians and for denying, uh, essentially denying them their rights. And to say that, and he said, Palestine doesn't exist. There, I went there. And somehow that is Islamophobic. That's considered a racist statement. Now, in fact, the state of Palestine doesn't actually exist. Now, if you believe in the two-state solution, where many people do, and it might, in fact, be the best solution long-term, if there actually you know, can be that, the state of Palestine will exist in the future, and there should be a place that the Palestinians can call home. But at the same time, 
the people who are calling Kamenei out on this and calling those out there as Islamophobic are the same people who say that the state of Israel should not exist. People, the BDS movement does not recognize a two-state solution. They do not, they are not in favor of the state of Israel. They feel that the state of Israel or Zionism is a racist, xenophobic movement. And the state of Israel is a racist state and therefore should not exist. So I'm not sure which way you want to have it. The Linda Sarsours of the world think that Jews around the world, but Israelis, are not should not be entitled to their own homeland. I mean, essentially, if you call yourself anti-Zionist, what is Zionism? Zionism is essentially the right of national determination for the Jewish people. That the Jewish people should and could and are entitled to have the right to have a state in the land of Israel. Now, there are people out there who, you know, and even we see uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with a picture meeting with Terry Kartonix, if they think those are actually representatives of the Jewish community, God help them. And they say, there are people out there who say the state of Israel should not exist. There should be no right to national self-determination. Do the Palestinians have a right to national self-determination? Do the Kurds have a right to national self-determination? I mean, I don't... I think there are a lot of people who feel, I mean, that the Palestinians should have a state. But right now, it doesn't yet exist. The reason, Part of the reason it doesn't exist is because of failure to negotiate, a failure to get there, a failure to accept it. Could Yasser Arafat have had a state in his negotiations with Ariel Sharon or Ehud Olmert? Or he would Barack. It seems very clearly from the historical record that he could have, but he didn't do it. He never pulled the trigger. So Palestine doesn't exist as a country. It's not in the same way that Israel doesn't exist. But the funny thing is that the response to Kalman Yeager essentially says, well, it's Islamophobic. And then Linda Susser calls out Bill de Blasio for basically saying, really, what exists is that Kalman Yeager's tweet was not helpful to those who call for a two-state solution. That's a correct statement. It's not helpful. It's not helpful if you care about a two-state solution. Now, not everybody necessarily feels that a two-state solution is in the best interest of peace. Maybe you have Israel and you have autonomy and you don't have actual an actual sovereign state of Palestine with an army and all that entails, whatever that means. But that doesn't mean the Palestinian people don't exist. It doesn't mean he's a racist. That's not racism. But, of course, it comes from the horse and mouth. It comes from somebody who essentially is has no problem delegitimizing the Jewish people's right to a homeland, which is absolutely terrible doing that. And I think that overall, there's no problem. I have no issue with Kalman Yeager going ahead and, and essentially playing the same game that pro-Palestinian progressives are out there doing on a daily basis with the BDS movement and calling Israel to essentially be ended as a state and calling Zionism evil, okay? If you want to go ahead and at least acknowledge what you're saying is doing the same thing. He's just throwing a factual statement out there. Provocative, yes. Not, is it a problem? Look, will some people take issue with it? Absolutely. Could it be part of the political discourse? 
why not? It's definitely a legitimate position. Should there be, in fact, a Palestinian state? I think many people say yes. Some Many people will say no. It's a big question in Israel right now. And no question, the consensus is in Israel, in the Israeli political sphere, is that we're probably further away from a Palestinian state, an actual state of Palestine, than there was. Has the international community recognized the state of Palestine? Many people have, but it's definitely premature. It's definitely an entity that has yet to control its own borders and meet the definitions of a state. But of course, there's no nuance because everybody is out there trying to delegitimize the other side. And of course, that doesn't actually get us anywhere. But the idea that this is Islamophobic, that this is a racist statement, it's bizarre, insane to use these statements when you yourself, you the people, are out there every day trying to delegitimize the Jewish people and their right to have a homeland. So it is not, it doesn't actually say to people that you don't exist. Yes, you were born in a certain place. Nobody is saying that you were born. But guess what? All throughout history, all throughout history, there has never been a state of Palestine. Ever. It never existed. A lot of people out there think they have this idea that a lot of people out there think that somehow before the state of Israel, there was a state of Palestine. Guess what? There was not. It was a British mandate. Before that, the Ottoman Empire controlled the land of Israel or the land of Palestine, whatever you want to call it. Before that, it was the Mamluks. Before that, it was the Crusaders. Before that, it was part of the Caliphate. Before that, part of the Byzantine Empire. Before that, part of the Roman Empire. Need I go on? There has never been in history a state of Palestine. It is a fully accurate statement. Is there a state of Israel? Yes, it exists. Do the Palestinians aspire to a state? Yes, they do. Is there, in fact, today a state of Palestine? No, there is not. Has there ever been in history a state of Palestine? No, there never has been. So if you want to be factually accurate and historically accurate, true statement. Is it a racist statement? That's ridiculous. But don't tell me that you're, that don't call, turn around and say, this person is a racist for stating something that's historically accurate. If you want to say he's delegitimizing people's rights, okay, I get that, but that's what you do every day. So all those people out there, out there running to condemn a member of the city council, seeing how outrageous it is, it's actually outrageous that you every day are out there campaigning to deny me my right to have a homeland and a nation in the state of Israel. And that's it for this week. Here on the Nachum Siegel Network, stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.